Let me, um, let me pray, and then let's dive into the text today. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have looked at us. Lord, as we delve into your word, may we be transformed from what we were before to what we are now to what we will be. God, your spirit has the power to change our lives, and I ask that as this text comes to life, as we've wrestled through it this week, may we listen to the voice that you're calling us to, and may we make the changes that you're calling us to as well. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You will need a worship guide today, and so if you don't have one, Brian, do you have a worship guide? You do? Hey, it's all right, he's good, he's good, he's all good. But you need a worship guide today. If you don't have one, just put your hand up and we'll make sure we get one, including Stacy, our producer up front, and our Pastor Jessica. That's kind of embarrassing. Great, so up front, Heather needs one. Just if we could get a worship guide out, um, that means that somebody has to go get them. And, and actually, yeah, great. Okay, not all everybody, just a few. All right, that's good. And if we can make sure, just keep your hands up. The worship guide's important because it has our series in there. We are in the second week of a seven-part series. If you haven't seen last week, it's online. You can uh, watch it as a video. You can listen to it as an audio. You can go to our iTunes account and get hold of that. We dealt with uh, that last week. Appreciation. Um, and uh, just the, the power that God has called us to. But next week, we're going to deal with a, a really simple subject, adaptability. I mean, just change and all the dynamics of change. But this week in particular, we're going to deal with accountability. How many of you love the word accountability? I mean, just you wake up in the morning saying, yes, two of you, three of you. Good, good, good. And the rest of you are going to Google that word to try and work out what it is, right? Accountability is a very heavy word for some people and a really great word for some other people. Some people love accountability and some people love to hold others accountable but not themselves. You ever met those people? Yeah, they just want to hold everybody else accountable but not themselves. But accountability is a very heavy word, a lot of tension involved in it because sometimes there's like accountability versus autonomy. Can't they be the same? Can't we work together? As staff, as pastors, we actually share our calendars uh, with several of the leaders in the church, elders, until they tell us to stop sharing them with them. Because like, like Doris was saying to me, I really don't need to know it's going to take you 15 minutes to drive to your next appointment. And so I think what we need to do is write to Apple and explain to Apple how they need to you know, qualify and just tweak the iCal calendar a little bit so it doesn't pop up with every notification, or maybe it's just a simple switch off that notification inside there. But we do that. Audrey, uh, she actually has me on a Find Me app. Uh, and so wherever I am, Audrey can find me. If you don't know where I am, you find Audrey. And Audrey's like, I can tell you he's uh, six yards over to the left, and <laughs> she knows where I am all the time. She can see where I'm driving, the speed I'm driving, I mean everything. It's, it's kind of... Not stalkerish, uh, just uh, accountability, just kind of openness about it. So we, we love that. Um, and there are great examples of accountability that work well. You know, and I'm going to ask uh, Jerry and, and, and uh, just to just roll with me with this, but here's an example of something that was great. Years ago, a friend of mine, uh, Nathan and I, we, we traveled to Spain. We were citing out this particular site that we were going to use for a leadership training event. And uh, we, we arrived very late at night. We'd driven all the way from England, all through France, and arrived to Spain. We went to the site very late at night, and uh, we were pretty hungry. We couldn't find anything, because it was about two hours from Madrid. So there was no little place to get any food. And we met this one guy. Now, this guy didn't speak any Spanish. He didn't speak any English, and he didn't, we didn't even know what really, which language he spoke and which country in Europe he was from. And so uh, he was very hospitable. 
really nice guy, and he took us upstairs to where our place was that we were going to stay, and then he took us, he, he, he kind of gave the signal, you know, do you, want, do you want food? And we were like, yeah, we would love some food. I mean, we've just driven for 20,000 hours, right? So it'd be great. So then he takes us into the kitchen, and the kitchen is small. I mean, it's like this big, you've got a little table, two people, the stove is right next to it, the fridge opens, you have to move a chair to open the fridge. I mean, it's a small kitchen, right? And, he's, and he starts to pull out of the fridge this pot that clearly he had decided to make for us in advance, and he put it on the stove and heated it up. We, sat, we packed our stuff out, we sat down, and then he put the stove in the middle, the, the pot in the middle, and it was like a, a, a tomato soup, right? So I thought, it's good, and we said, thank you. He said some words to us in his language, and he left. And then uh, we, we, we both took some of the stuff, I put it in my bowl, Nathan put it in his bowl, and it, it was tomato soup with uh, these kind of like sausage patties. And I, you know, I thought the vegetarian sausage patties, and, and so took a bite of this vegetarian sausage patty, and it wasn't vegetarian. Uh, in fact, I'm not quite sure what it was. It was so bad, so bad, that I, it, I just I started to gag instantly. It was like meat that had not been cooked, or it could have been rat meat. I mean, it was just, there was no animals around the place. I mean, they were all gone, and it was horrible. And, and as it was inside your mouth, it started to smell, and, and you felt like it was dribbling in your mouth. It was just, it was gross. It was coming to life. <laughs> I swallowed this little piece, and, and, and Nathan was looking at me, just laughing, right? Just because he hadn't tried it. So then I said to Nathan, hey, uh, we have got to eat this. And he looked at me and said, why? And I said, because, you know, the guy, this is all, he, I mean, the fridge looks empty. This is his food. He's given this to us. This is a sacrifice. And Nathan was like, yeah, you know, you're right. We can't, we can't just throw this back at him and say we don't want to eat this. And, and so Nathan, like a soldier, just grabs a spoon and just like throws his burgers into his mouth, right? And he's just eating it, and his mouth is full. And I'm dying laughing. I'm just like, I'm just laughing, laughing, that this is ridiculous. I haven't tried mine at all. And he's like, he's just like, come on, come on, together. I'm like, you go, you go, you do it. So he's like three quarters of the way through his plate. And I pull out my napkin, I lay it on the table. I place all the burgers on the napkin. I fold the napkin up and put it in my pocket. <laughs> I said, that's how we do it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, and Nathan's really upset. He's just like, oh, I'm still going to eat it. He eats the rest of it. I then go to my room, and I take my napkin out, and I put it in the toilet, and I flush it. But it's a really small campsite. Uh, <laughs> it's out in the middle of nowhere. Water's limited, and it does not flush. It clogs. So then I go to Nathan, I'm saying, Nathan, the food's stuck in the toilet. And he's like, I'm gonna hold you accountable, brother. You have got to get rid of it. I'm like, dude, it's stuck in the toilet. So here I am in this place with my arm rolled up, moving and crushing these burgers. He's laughing his head off, flushing a go, and I'm moving and crushing his burgers as I'm trying to get rid of the evidence that we were not going to eat this particular thing. So, you know, there are times when accountability <laughs> could be avoided, <laughs> should be avoided. Nathan should have let me go. 
He should have said, oh, just tell the guy that you flushed all his food and he got stuck right here. That will go down well. And so accountability has these moments where it can be good, it can be good, it can, it can create some tensions inside. And then, of course, there are accountability moments that are really weird, you know? Just like, that's a weird thing. For instance, um, I had a boss and, uh, once, and, and this particular boss, brand new, uh, he, I'd been working for him a few months, and one day I, I was sitting in my office, working on my computer, and he came into my office, and, and then he sat down, he kicked off his shoes, took out his Blackberry, because it's a time when Blackberry actually existed, um, I think they still do for three people, and so he took out his Blackberry and started to type, and I looked at him and said, what's up? And he's like, oh, no, no, you just, you just continue. I was like, that's creepy. And he just stood, he just sat down there for like hours. He wanted to see how I worked in my office. And so he just wanted to observe, like stare at me and watch me and occasionally do an email and, and then watch me for the rest of the time. It was very weird. So I wouldn't recommend that as a method of accountability. I mean, there's just, there's difference. I don't know if you remember this, if you've, you've been to church for many, many years. Um, years ago in churches, they used to do this where in between the worship service and, and or we were referred to as the Sab School Bible Study class and worship service, there would be a thing called the personal ministries time. You guys ever remember this? Did you have this in this country? Where people would say, how many people did you share Jesus with this week? And people would put their hands up, right? Or they'd stand up. How many people delivered a leaflet to the door and let people know that the Bible is a good book and they put their hands up? And it was just really weird when I was a kid because there was always one or two people who they lived for this, you know? This was their dream job. And so they would stand up and they would report 565, 795, and everybody else in the church was like, zero, one. It was just weird. So accountability works well if you understand the people inside there and you know what's going on inside, then it's all okay. But some personalities, it doesn't really click so well. Then there are some people that, that should hold you accountable, that are good reasons why they should hold you accountable, but you want to avoid them, right? So for instance, I avoid Jim Fazio as much as I can outside of church. And the reason is because he's my financial advisor and I'm just like, I, he keeps saying, you know, you should think about your future. And I'm like, yeah, later. <laughs> Let's think about my future in the future. That would be, it'd be like the double future. We could go really far. So, so I try to not have those conversations with him, even though I know he's absolutely right. I should have that conversation with him. The other one, of course, is, uh, is uh, Scott the Rude. And he's not here today. That's good. That's good. Scott the Rude, um, I, uh, he's been requesting that I, I, I go take a physical. Um, you know, I just, do I look like I need a physical? That was a rhetorical question. Uh, didn't expect a response to that, but, but he's like, you know, Javid, it would be really good if I, if I could get a physical, if, not get a physical, if you could have a physical and you come see me uh, at least once a year, uh, that would be great. And so December came along and I was really busy. And so he said, hey, how about January? I'm like, next, end of the year, end of the year, I'll be there. <laughs> end of 2017, I'll be there. Because, I mean, who really needs a physical in this day and age anyway? I mean, technology, I, you can go to MD, WebMD and find out everything you need to know. You don't need to go and see a doctor, kind of. But if you're gonna be accountable, you actually have to be open, you really do. You have to be open to your, your people that you expect them to hold you accountable. And if you are, then you actually are, live a much better way inside here. So what I do is I watch the services um, every week. After the service is done, I watch the entire service and, and I will watch the service and I'm kind of horrified every time I watch the services. 
uh, because I, I may have a slight level of particularness. <laughs> uh, and so I'm like, oh my, did you see that? That one bulb's out. Ah, oh, just, if only we could get that one little Christmas light on, everything be fine. And so I watch the whole service, I watch how transitions take place and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and eventually I, I, I tend to watch this one guy and I, I watch this one guy get up and I'm like, who is that, that, that big guy preaching? Because, and then I realized it's me. And I think, but he's huge. <laughs> and I think the camera, <laughs> it, must, it must add at least, 200 pounds, and you know, just, it's a lot of weight to that. So, so then I'm horrified with that, and I think to myself, oh my goodness, that looks really bad. It does really, it looks bad on camera. I can only imagine what it looks like in real life. I'm really glad right now that there's a reflection right at the back there, and I can't see my head at all. I just, you know, I just see the pulpit, so it's fine with that. But, but I kind of think to myself, oh man, I, I should do something about this. So New Year's resolution, I decided that I would cut out sugar, right? Because that's really good, right? I read that you can eat 65,000 eggs a year, and it's fine. Sugar is the dangerous one. So I decided I would cut out sugar, and I have to report to you, as of this moment, with excellence, and with brilliance, audacity, and enthusiasm, I have been able to consume sugar every day. Um, <laughs> Oh my goodness, it's depressing, it's depressing. So my Monday night, uh, which is what, day eight, I was like, oh my goodness, I just, it's not working. Now I haven't told anybody until now, so nobody was holding me accountable, I just, it was a secret that I had until now, and, and now it's dissolved. <laughs> See that, sugar dissolved, I like that. All right, so <laughs> you didn't pick that up, it was very, very funny, uh, it was really good. So <laughs> I, I decided that I would just let that go, but Monday night I was pretty depressed. I was depressed about it and I thought, that's not good. I mean, seriously, not even one day. Every single day you managed. There were moments when I reflected on my days where I thought, I could have stopped that spoon, but it didn't. It just, it just kept on going into the coffee cup. Like, I don't know why. I was like, you could have controlled it. And I just didn't, and it just felt so bad. And I felt quite sad about it. So I, I, I even started to do some research on, on why it's positive to be fat. Um, and the Telegraph, the Daily Telegraph in London, has an article in September 2015, last year, two years ago. And these are the reasons why it's good to be fat. Um, I'm going to share them with you. It's, it reduces the risk of, arth of rheumatoid arthritis. All in favor of that. Uh, you're less likely to develop dementia. All in favor of that. You have a stronger immune system, apparently, and you recover faster. And then a few other things that I can't say because you're underage. Um, and, but those are all the reasons uh, that the Telegraph said that it's better to be fat. Of course, you have to live in order to experience whether that really works or not. And I think that when you're fat, you die younger. I have read that somewhere. So this is tension all the time inside there that I'm like, oh, it's not good. And, and the, the problem is that psychologically, you know, I, I try to make sure that I don't look at myself in a mirror. I just look at my face and my face looks good. I love my face. It's beautiful. I look in the mirror and say, zero defects. I mean, you probably do the same as well. Everybody feels the same way about their face. I love my face. It's beautiful. I even, I'm like, ah, that's good. It's a good face. It's all good, but, but then I don't look at my body, because if you look at my body, if I look at my body, not you look at my body, if I look at my body, it's kind of weird. I'm like, that, that mirror, it's one of those weird mirrors, you know, from the circus, clearly out of shape. Don't know what's going on inside there. So I was quite sad, and I, I Monday night, 
I wrestle through all of this because I actually want to live. <laughs> I don't know why. I want to live, and, uh, and I want to be able to sort this out. And so I started to wrestle with God about what I should do with this. I haven't been able to cut the sugar out. Should I start it again, maybe next Sunday? Wrestling through accountability, writing the sermons, thinking about all that kind of stuff. And then I said, maybe I should join a gym. Oh, a gym? Oh, my goodness, that would be horrible. That would require exercise and and, you know, movement and just terrible things. Then I thought maybe I should go to one of those fat farms, you know, the, the two-week Kickstarter program where you go and be vegan. And basically what they do is they take you out into a field like Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> give you grass and let you chew your way through two weeks. <laughs> and by the time you've chewed through that, you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's why I'm going to eat less. It hurts my jaw. <laughs> you know, forget that. So, you know, you, you kind of like struggle through all these different options. I'm wrestling through that. Then Thursday night, I was out with some friends, and, uh, and these friends said, hey, we've we, we got a, a surprise for you. I said, oh, well, what's a surprise? And they said, well, we have signed you up for a gym membership with uh, a personal trainer who can help, you know, guide you for three months to kind of like kickstart you back and, and get you going with that kind of stuff. And in my mind, as I was smiling, and Janelle, this is not a lie, because Janelle pulled me last week and said, you lied, you lied. Uh, seriously, uh, sometimes I say to people that they look great, they don't. Uh, it's, just, it's just, I'm just, I care. I care, that's why. That's not a lie, I'm protecting people. So I'm just sitting down at the dinner and, uh, and I'm, I'm just listening to the stuff. They're telling me about this gym membership and, and it's all exciting. They're all salivating about it. They're just like really excited. I'm thinking, yeah, but you don't weigh 5,000 pounds. I mean, the ground doesn't move when you walk around. I, I sense tremors in the earth. I mean, and they're all excited about it. I, in fact, two days ago, I was visiting a, a, a neighbor here having lunch with her, and as I came to her house to sit down, uh, she, she pulled out a chair, then she looked at me, and then she said, and then, and then she said do you think you'll be comfortable in this chair? And, and I was like, and I said to her, do you think it's gonna break? And she was like, that's not what I was really thinking, but in the heart, I knew that's what she was thinking. It was like one of these, you know, really old, so I, I sat very gingerly, down because I have had that problem, you know, where I sat in a chair in Germany. Uh, I was preaching before the 3,000 people sitting down in a chair, and I told the guys, I'm not going to fit in that chair. And they're like, Pastor, every pastor fits in that chair. It's the chair for the, it's chair for the pastor. I said, I'm not going to fit in that chair. Sure enough, I sat in the chair. I got up. The chair came with me <laughs> in front of 3,000 people. Um, we were dealing with reconciliation. And, I tell you, I didn't reconcile that for years. It was just, it was difficult. So, so I was like, I'm wrestling through this stuff and I think to myself, oh man, that's a great idea I'm telling them. Inside I'm saying, no, no, I'm screaming really loud. People are like shouting in, the, in, the, in my head, running around saying, crazy, wrong, no. But outside I'm saying, yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> Three months with a personal trainer. <laughs> my goodness. So then I wrote down a spreadsheet, uh, which I do, uh, and I'm going to share it with you. I have option A and option B. I need you to help me with this, all right? So option A is this. Um, I'm going to accept the gift. I'm going to change my schedule, um, and I'm going to live longer. All right, that's option A. Option B, I'm going to reject the gift. <laughs> I'm going to keep on doing what I do right now, which is fantastic. I love it. I, even, I, don't have, I don't even have time to watch Netflix. So what I do is I watch it 
is fast forward. I watch the beginning, skip the middle of the episode, and go to the end. And sometimes, because I don't have time, I just watch the end six minutes. Guaranteed, you can see the whole thing. It, it saves so much time. So I'm not going to change my schedule, and then I'm going to die next week. So, uh, option A or option B? How many of you think that I should try, and this is accountability, uh, I'm going to be open with you guys, how many think I should try option A? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and uh, how many of you, my friends now, are going to choose option B? Yes! <laughs> yes! I felt it was overwhelming, majority was option B. <laughs> That's how you don't read accountability, all right? So accountability basically said only three you said option B, because either you want to kill me or something, I'm not quite sure whether that was actually a friend thing or not, but, but seriously, that's what happens. You have to be absolutely clear about accountability and you have to be open about it. So I'm going to try it. I'll let you know how it goes in three months' time or maybe sooner than that as these friends of mine torture me through life uh, with this personal trainer inside here. But our text today, our text today, actually, uh, one of the seven I am statements, I believe, is about accountability. It's about a different way to do accountability. In fact, if you looked at the daily walk, did you guys do the daily walk this week? If you studied the daily walk the very first day, we, you would have seen all the seven I am statements. And you would have seen how all seven I am statements are lined up really beautifully with, with Jesus and the birth of Jesus and how they all line up inside there. It's quite fantastic inside there. But we're looking at John chapter 19, uh, John chapter 10, sorry, John chapter 10, page 993 in your Bibles in the pew. So if you haven't got a Bible, pull that Bible out. John chapter 10, verse 19 is where I'm going to start. Um, it actually starts at verse 1, but I'm going to read 19. Why am I going to read 19? Why have I written that text down? Suddenly, just, it, like, it just hit me. Oh, I remember why. There you go, John chapter 10, verse 19. Here we go. This text, and the reason why this text is important here is because I think it ties directly into the message that was taking place here, and this is what it says. There was again division amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So the question I have for you as you read this little verse here, 19, which you had done before last week here inside here, is this, what caused this reaction? That they said to him, there was division amongst the Jews. Many of them were saying, he has a demon. And they said, he is insane. Why should we listen to him? What did Jesus say that was so insane? What did Jesus say that was so offensive to them that caused all this kind of difficulty inside there? Chapter 10, verse 1, all the way through to verse 10 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by his name, and he leads them out. When he was brought out of all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, and they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me and thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
It's a powerful metaphor, and this is the second I am statement that I want us to look at here, uh, where he talks about I am the door. And inside here, he talks about him being the shepherd that takes us through this particular door here as well. And Jesus is the good shepherd, and it's phenomenal that he uses that particular thing. These are three things. He says, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the door that you go through here. He says, you have to know me and my voice, and that he is the source of everything. Those are the three things inside this text here. And, but, but here's the thing. For everybody else, it's fine. For us, it can be really difficult to have to listen to all these ideas and say, is he talking to me? That's a hard thing to do. So the first question that I have for you guys, and this is a question inside your worship guide, so if you turn inside here, we're going to look at this in a couple of classes later on in a minute. It says this, Jesus, the good shepherd, calls you, leads you, knows you, sacrifices for you, and gathers you. What do you need from Jesus? Do you need him to lead you? Do you need him to know you? Do you need him to sacrifice for you? Do you need him to gather you? What do you need from Jesus today? This is the question that we have to wrestle through right now. Now, the metaphor of the shepherd is very powerful. As we've looked at this before, we've looked at it in Christmas time, we've looked at it here, and it's laced all through the Bible, including in Psalm 23, where it talks about the shepherd, and, and it's fulfilled inside Jesus. If you looked at the daily walk as well inside there, would have touched that. Jesus contrasts himself with the good shepherd because he wants to let you know that there are people who are not the good shepherd. They are the hired hands. These are the people who cause problems in your life, and they're not doing a good job in particular. Whenever there's a difficulty, in fact, they run away. They don't want to be around here. They just, they're off. They climb and they go different places inside there. And what's the trouble is, is that people are struggling with this kind of priest, this kind of shepherd motive inside their life. Somebody came to me the other day and, and was uh, asking me, and I'm not saying their name was Diane. Actually, it was, the conversation was like, went like this. Diane was saying, hey, I'm really enjoying what's taking place in the church. And I said to Diane, yeah, it's great, it's fantastic, I'm really excited about where the church is going. She said, ah, but it's only going to last another three years and then you're gone. And then I looked at her and I said, am I fired? Did, did it happen? I didn't know, where's the memo? And she said, you know, it just happens because pastors change all the time. And I was like, well, maybe not this one, right? Maybe not this one. Maybe we've changed, we've done so many other changes. Maybe we could do this change as well and not make this change. Maybe this doesn't have to be one of those three, five, six year cycles, but actually a lifetime cycle. Because if you're going to invest in the community and build relationships up, you need to belong and you need to be part of it and you need to grow with it. And it takes years, decades, in fact, to be able to build that kind of reputation and connection with the community. So I said, it is that way. The difficulty is, of course, that, you know, I get phone calls sometimes or emails and people we, we meet and we discuss things and people say, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? And the problem is that I love problems. I do. People ask me, don't you, don't you hate all the difficulty? I'm like, I love it. <laughs> I thrive on it. I enjoy it. Give me a problem. Let me fix it. For instance, we have new cleaners starting on Monday. Very excited about that, because as I came to the church this morning, all the doors at the front entrance, they're dirty. 
there's a, somebody emptied some kind of like a vacuum bag into a trash can over there and then left it all dirty on top of that. So I'm really excited about fixing that and finding new cleaners who are going to transform this church and make it actually what it should be, cleaned properly. Make sure that it's clean enough for everybody to come and enjoy as well inside this. So I love to be able to fix stuff. So when people come and talk to me, I always talk about let's fix that. In fact, now I actually go and help churches as a consultant and help them to address the problems of structure and order and, and how to motivate them and move them in particular directions because we have to do that kind of stuff. So I'm constantly talking to people all the time. I love that. But I don't think that we're dating right now as a church, you know, pastor church. I thought we were married. So if we're married, it's until death do us part. So you voted option A. I'm going to be around for a while. Option B, I could have been gone within three years. But option A, I don't know, it's just going to be a struggle. So we just got to wrestle through that. So, you know, if you want to change your vote, you can by secret ballots at some other point. We can wrestle through that. But I, I want to be able to say that we, in order to be able to make these changes, you have to, what Jesus says here, you have to be committed to actually taking care of the sheep. You have to be able to make the shift inside there. And this church needs to be the hub. This church needs to be the place where people actually connect with that. The second point that John, that John raises up here that Jesus does uh, through this thing about the whole door is that he says, and laces it all the way through the text here, that you have to know and you have to understand the voice. And this is really important. This, uh, this summer I'm going to do a series, uh, a two or three week series on actually knowing the voice of God and recognizing the voice of God, hearing the voice of God and recognizing the voice of God. I feel that people talk about the voice of God in their life, but do they really understand what the voice of God really does, and that God is talking to us all the time. In fact, the best metaphor that I've seen on this is that Jesus is always speaking, and it's like a, a radio wave. It's just that radio waves are just flying towards you. And as sheep, as disciples, we, we are hearing all these radio waves, but the difficulty is that there's a lot of stuff coming towards us. So what you have to do is you have to tune the radio to the frequency of Jesus. He's coming and talking to you, and he never stops right? It's always there. He's always communicating. But you have to tune your radio to recognize the voice so you can say, this is Jesus's voice, and I listen to this. Now, there are some people who believe that the radio is Adventism. You ever heard that? There's only one radio. I don't believe there's only one radio. I don't believe you have to be Adventist to listen to the voice of Jesus. I don't believe you have to be Adventist to be saved. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, it's like a, a, I don't know, a Porsche dealer telling you, I don't like Porsches. I really like Ford. That's what it feels like right now. I'm going to finish off, and so you'll be okay. <sighs> Blood pressure, paddles, everything okay. I actually do love Adventism, though, and I choose Adventism because out of all the tribes that I've explored, I feel Adventism is the most holistic tribe that exists out there. It embraces the entire Bible, front to beginning, all the way through. It doesn't just pick sections and say we're more of a, a second book person than a first book person. We love the whole book. The other thing I love about Adventism is that Adventism is messy. It is. There are people with all sorts of different ideas about what Adventism is, and Adventism is strong enough to hold everybody in the fold. That's what's beautiful about it. On Thursday this week, coming up in January 19, I believe, if I got the math wrong, let me know. Um, the head, World Church Head Office, 
and the head office for the United States and Canada, uh, so the North American office, are going to meet. They're going to meet and spend an entire day wrestling through how they can actually come together. Because there is division in the church about policies, about how women are treated, and how the church actually operates, and how authority runs, and all this kind of stuff. So they're getting all together. They've asked everybody to pray about this, because this is a, a huge issue for them. I love that we can get together, that we can talk, that we can pray, that we can wrestle through things. We need to be able to wrestle through things. We need to be able to disagree and have different opinions and still exist inside the church. Imagine if everybody here was exactly the same. It'd be fun for about 30 seconds, and then all of your flaws would start to be everybody else's flaws. And you'd be like, not enjoying that anymore. <laughs> Love the diversity. And we need the diversity of not just physical diversity, but mental and cultural diversity as we explore Scripture inside here. And Adventism for me does that. But I just want you to know that God has sheep everywhere. He has people everywhere. And he's talking to everybody all over the place inside here. So. Adventism, absolutely beautiful insight here, but I don't want you to recognize that Jesus says, I recognize your voice, and when you recognize my voice, you will come through this door, and this door, just so you know, is Jesus Christ. This is what he talks about. He says, you can go to salvation any other way that you want to think of. It's not true. There's only one way to be saved. Acts chapter 4, it is through the name of Jesus. He says, I am the door. All these robbers and thieves, these priests, these pastors who lead you away, who say things that they shouldn't say, these are not the people. This is the door that I'm taking you through. This is the journey that I'm pulling you all the way through. That's what he's trying to say to us over and over and over again, and hoping that we stay in connection with him through this entire journey inside here. We have created space inside this church for you to be able to connect to God. And, and, I, and I want you to know this, this is really critical to us because we, we believe you can hear the voice of God through this stuff. Two of the spaces that we created are, are our life groups and our Bible study classes. And people get these confused sometimes. They think they're identical twins. They're not identical twins. So there are some things that seem familiar. Uh, the life group meets on a, a random basis. It meets once a month, once a week, every other day. You as a life group get to choose. A Bible study class meets every week, every single week, even when there's a snow day, it meets. I know, it's amazing, right? The size of the group, a Bible study class can be two people or 30 people. It can be really, really large. The life group tends to be about 12 people, two to 12 people. You don't want to have it be too large because the purpose is different. A life group is for accountability and discovery. A Bible study class is for discovery and accountability. Do you see the order? So in a Bible study class, your primary thing is to study the Bible, and you will be held accountable through that, but your primary purpose is there is to be able to open the Word of God, discover the truth about who God is, and that will make you more accountable. A life group, you spend time talking about life, and then you also discover as well inside there who God is and what God is teaching you. But your primary purpose is to talk about life, hence it's called a, a life group, and it's founded by coming together inside there. You need to join a Bible study class and a life group, or one or the other. Ideally, both. I've joined countless life groups. I have life groups that don't even meet physically. We meet just by text. We dialogue by text. I have several of those. And then we have life groups that I meet all over the place. Bible study classes. It's amazing, actually, how when this service ends, not too long from now, 22 minutes from now, as this service ends, you'll be amazed how many people exit really quickly because they're like, I just can't go to a Bible study class. If I could just... And some people, they're, they're really stealthy, right? They exit before the final song. <laughs> I 
They're like, oh, get out of here. And they're running. And so I try. And maybe once I've gone to the gym, I'll be faster to get to the back. We'll see how that goes inside there. There's this really great book by Alvin E. Roth, who wrote, he said, who gets what they what, what and why. He's a Nobel Prize for economics, he wrote this. And he was telling a story at the beginning of the book on, on, from the Talmud. It's the rabbinic writings. He said this. And these are basically the rabbis who wrote different ideas of how they understand God. And this is the book. It's kind of an interesting read. He says this, the question came along to a rabbi, what has God, our creator, been doing since creation? And the answer was, well, he's been making matches. He's been making matches all over the place. And successful marriages, this rabbi said, are as hard as parting the Red Sea, all right? So they're difficult, but making the matches is a really important side there. The key is, though, that this author says, when deciding on the economic markets to take place and the life markets to take place, is you have to choose each other. It's the same with a life group and a Bible study group. You have to choose them. They have to choose you. You choose each other, and you become good. So you have to go test them out to find out which one's right inside there. The third one that I thought was important inside the story here, inside the door, is that Jesus is the source of absolutely everything. And I have three metaphors I'm going to share with you that I think you'll resonate with one of these, hopefully. The, the first are based on farming and sheep farming, and, and I know that doesn't mean a lot to anybody here, neither to me, um, but, but this is what it, I understand it to be. In England, when we farm, we, with sheep in particular, we build fences. Uh, we actually have hedges. Uh, we love hedges or we build fences. You keep all the sheep inside the fence. So with God, you're inside the fence. You're connected there. You have clear parameters of how the church exists, how truth exists, and all merits is inside there. If you're outside of the fence, you're lost and you're a wandering sheep, and we need to pull you in. That's a great metaphor. Lots of people know it. Middle East, they use that as well. The one in Australia that's indifferent, though, is that in Australia, they don't build fences. What they do is they dig a well. And with a well, you have a source of water. The sheep can go as far as they want, but when they get thirsty, they will come back. The shepherd doesn't have to go say, where are you? They just have to say, give him another 10 minutes, he'll be back. And they will. They'll come back to the source of water. Jesus is that well. Do you see that? So you, no matter where you are in your journey, you're connected to him. But the one that I like the most is more of a scientific one. Uh, and if you imagine uh, the sun, and you imagine planet Earth, and planet Earth orbits around the sun, and the reason why in January it's, it's the furthest away from the sun, is it the furthest away from the sun? Or no, closest in January and furthest away in July is because there is a different variation that takes place in the rotation as it goes around the sun. But here's the thing, the sun has a gravitational force. That's what keeps planet Earth always connected. Even when it's far away, it's still connected to the sun. Even when it's close, it's still connected to the sun. You are like that planet Earth. There are moments when you're far away and there are moments when you're really close, but the source is the sun is Jesus Christ. He is the source. So question number two, which is the hard question today, is this. The sheep know the shepherd's voice and follow it. What is your response to the voice of Jesus today? I've been thinking hard about commitment, and you've probably been thinking hard about commitment too. Thinking about what it actually looks like for you. Maybe because December comes along and New Year comes along, you make New Year's resolutions that you don't share, but you keep to yourself, or you tell your wife or your husband or your kids, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to commit to eating more meals with my family. I'm going to commit to exercising. I'm going to commit to actually getting a work-life balance kind of thing going on. I'm going to commit to whatever it may be. I may even commit to God some more. 
I may commit to studying the Word of God. I may commit to learning more about it. I may commit to belonging to a community inside there. So I have two options for you. Option A and option B. Jesus comes along and he offers a gift. This is option A. You can accept the gift. You can change your entire schedule, right? And you can join a Bible study group or you can join a life group and you can live forever. That's option A, right? Stay with God. Option B, you can reject the gift that God has given you of salvation and the community that he's calling you to belong to. You can bounce around different churches every single week or, or go to different places and never belong to any kind of a leadership and skip all accountability and all Bible study classes and you can die early. Option A or option B. How many of you want to choose option A? Ooh, how many of you want to choose option B? How many of you are scared to raise your arm? John chapter 10 says this, there was again a division amongst the people in Boulder because of these words. Many of them said, oh, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to the pastor? Others said, these are not words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon bring you sight? I'm trying to bring you sight to your life. I am. And it's not my sight. It's the sight of God. And that sight of God means that you could change who you are if you commit to God and choose option A. But believe me, option A is hard. I don't want to change my schedule. I do not. In fact, I can't even imagine adding one more thing to my schedule unless it was work, because I love work. But the reason why I don't want to change my schedule is because I know the exercise is harder than work. And the reason you don't want to change your life is because you know that the gift of salvation is fantastic, but it requires your soul. It requires your energy, it requires your time, it requires of you to say, I will be committed to connect and to invest and to invite people to my home and, and build relationships and study the Word of God every day. That takes time. And it's much easier just to say, I'll do it once a week for an hour when I go to church. That's what God is calling you to, this option A. It's hard. For some of you, it means that you need to get baptized, and that's what uh, is right behind us. March 4. I'm going to have a baptism here on March 4. If you're interested in joining, speak to any of the pastors, speak to any of the elders. You decided this is the point in your life. I should be a follower of Jesus. And I've never been baptized. I don't know why I resisted following Jesus, but I'm ready to make that. Then let's talk about that. For some of you, it's membership. For some of you, it's partnership. For some of you, it's leadership. For some of you, it literally just comes down to that God is saying, I have been talking to you for so long. You've tuned that radio. You hear the frequency. Respond now. Send the message back. So I want you to take your Connect card. I'm going to pray for you in a second. I want you to take this Connect card and I want you to answer the question. That question right there inside the guide. What is your response to the voice of Jesus today? And if you want help, you will put your name with it. If you just want us to pray for it, just write what the item is. Place it in any of the altars uh, that are around the sanctuary here. And we will process this with you and we will keep you in prayer. But let me pray for you now. Heavenly Father. So many wonderful things that you do, Lord. So many transformational things that you do, Lord. God, help us. God, help us. Bring us to a place of clarity. Give, bring us to a place where we have the courage to tune into that frequency and listen to it. And with that accountability, know that you indeed are the only way. You are the door and through you we have salvation, but we have life renewed. 
God, I, I want to belong to that community and I want us together to belong to that community. May we shape it together. May we have the courage to stand up for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen.